I was trying to find beer, but, <laughs> but I ran out. I, I did hear it is very hot there. Yeah, this is saying 34. Anyway, when we've finished, I'll go for a swim to make up for it. Well, it's 19 here and I'm enjoying my earmuffs. We're 33, feels like 38. Of course it does. It's only, it's only 52% humidity. <laughs> Darwin, it's 31, feels like 38. It's 32, feels like 38. 38. It's 29, feels like 38. 38. <laughs> Pretty much. It's 2020, feels like 1981. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast, where we not only do the talking for you, we occasionally do the near-dying for you and get anointed so that we can then come together and wrap up our series on the sacraments with anointing of the sick. However, a bit of a thirty there to start with because Father Dave and Marty, of course, anointing of the sick is not merely for those who are dying, is it? No. I was thinking about this in my preparation time that started about five minutes ago. It occurred to me that anointing of the sick is a bit like reconciliation in the fact that it also has three names. <laughs> the last rites, extreme unction, and the anointing of the sick. Yeah, and I always knew it as last rites, and so that gives a very strong impression that it is for those who are dying. Because the last rites is a liturgical rite that includes the anointing of the sick, oh. but it's more than just the anointing of the that sick. That clarification was brought to you by Father Dave, MGL. Nice. <laughs> Oh, that makes sense. Gonna, that makes sense. Yes. So that other name, Extreme Unction, is that the same as Anointing of the Sick or is it the same as the Last Rites? You're uh, revealing my ignorance here at this point. <laughs> yes! yes! <laughs> <laughs> i got to admit, Anointing of the Sick is the uh, one that I, when I was going through the seminary, this one didn't get a lot of uh, airplay, really. Like I, all the other sacraments, big deal. This one just kind of got, got like a little bit. And maybe I just wasn't paying attention. No, no, look, sorry. I've just done a bit of Googling for you here. And the first thing that came up was... For you. (laughs) Extreme unction in the Roman Catholic Church, a former name for the sacrament of anointing of the sick. Mm. So let let, let me tell what I do know. (laughs) And we can fill in the gaps later. The anointing of the sick kind of got a bit of a revival, I think, around the time of the Second Vatican Council. In its common usage, it was really just for the end of life for quite some time. And I think this is where it got this whole association with the last rites, extreme unction and so on. You only got it when you're about to die or you're on your deathbed. From my understanding, the Second Vatican Council, in the process of kind of rediscovering a whole bunch of other stuff that had been lost liturgically, really tried to reclaim the fact that it's more than just about death. It's really a sacrament of healing. Mm. And so you really should be receiving it long before you die so that you don't die potentially, and you can actually experience the healing of God. Mm. The essence of this sacrament is praying for healing, also praying for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the bit which most people don't quite realize happens Mm. in this sacrament. Okay, so before we get onto that, that's a great hook, but that's going to lead us down a whole big rabbit hole. I just looked up unction, what on earth that word means, because it's not like I've never used it in a sentence before. (laughs) And it seems to just mean anointing with oil. So extreme unction is this idea of anointing with oil in an extreme extreme circumstance or or manner. (laughs) Anyway, that's just for the uh, grammar grammar geeks. Perhaps unction would be anointing of the sick and extreme unction would be uh, the last rites. Right, if you want. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, redefine. Why not? Um, (laughs) 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 So, so... My first question, 
How sick is sick? <laughs> that is How an sick interesting. Do you oh, need to be? Yeah. That is an interesting question because um, it's hard to define. Obviously, does does man flu qualify? <laughs> I mean, when you look at the number of people who do die from the flu every year, then potentially maybe towards the end of the flu when it's actually causing pneumonia. It, it, it's one of those things. I don't think. Well, I'm sure if we were back in the scholastic era, they would have defined every. In and out of like <laughs> how many coughs per minute? Does, yep. um, but um, from my understanding, in the in the instruction the church gives, it does talk about serious illness or chronic illness or people of advanced age. But then some people would kind of throw open that question of, well, what about things like mental illness, mm. which can be life threatening? Mm. So yeah, and and sure, it, surely the answer is yes. Well, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the difficult thing being that a lot of illnesses aren't visible. So mm. when a parish does have like a communal celebration of the anointing, many parishes will have like a particular Saturday in the month or a Friday in the month. Yeah. They'll pray for healing. And, and you'll often get people saying, oh, that person doesn't look sick. But you don't know. You know, like well, a, person couple- could, a person could have leukemia, mm. be getting treatment, not have told anyone about it, still be walking around looking quite healthy, but... No, they've only got six months to live. Mm. I've been to those healing masses when they were mass and the naughty the sick sort of in the mass. You line up twice. I didn't feel particularly sick, but I just thought, there's a sacrament being dished out. I mean, I, I, I could be. I am sick. I mean, I'm, I'm far from perfect. Does grey does hair constitute being sick? It constitutes being older than... I used to be. So you're a bit closer to death. My my, <laughs> the first time I received an anointing, not as close as Sam though. I was going to say the first time I received anointing of the sick was in the more traditional sense, where I was in hospital dying, and a priest came in to give me last rites, which is why I associate it with last rites, and uh, I've had to rethink, do, redo my thinking. So how old were you the first time? Fourteen. You came close to dying. Fourteen. Yeah. How many times have you received? I actually this? don't know. I beat you. You're younger. Is grade, that no? That's that's how I ended up in hospital. Marty beat me. <laughs> <laughs> I was in grade three when I cut my finger off. Oh, I received the yeah anointing. Grade what's grade three? Twelve or something? Maybe less. Ten? I don't know. Can't remember. You, sorry, it's a, it was less than less than whatever you said though. It's a bit of a bit of <laughs> bit of a dad joke. But uh, did the priest anoint you with his finger or yours? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is gold. I did get better, but That's my good. finger didn't grow back. No. <laughs> now, I was 14. I had a football accident and had my kidney split in half and had massive internal bleeding and uh, was in. I was on a morphine pump administered. So I was self administering morphine in the hospital. So, so as hard as you could. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it was a case of just make yourself comfortable while you get ready for death. And I actually, they, the doctors did invite family members into the hospital to and some friends to say goodbye. Uh, it was about four days after the accident and had last rites. So that was, that was at a, an, in an extreme situation. I didn't, okay, I, want to conc- I didn't die. I, I want to, I want to concede your, yours is worse than mine. Okay. But that was the beginning of a glorious career of near death experiences. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Have you have you kept tally of how many how many times you've come close to dying? <laughs> and look, that comes back to how do you define what is being sick? How do you define 
near-death experience. I've heard some people say they had a near-death experience. And you go, oh, wow, what happened? And they, they tell you the story and they finish. And you could swear they're just doing the introduction because they haven't come to anything yet that's actually near-death. <laughs> cool story. Uh, a little bit scary. I walked near a cliff. Oh, that's it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, on the on the walk around the world, I I would say about eleven times, uh, and then outside the walk, the, definitely the splitting of the kidney, and then two years ago, the being crushed by a boulder and splitting my sternum, cracking my ribs, crushing my heart, crushing my lungs, and crushing my T seven vertebrae also gets into that basket. I've had a few other things as well, but I've also been to the standard anointing of the sick mass which is a far more pleasant way to receive that sacrament. Yes. If you have a choice yeah. between hospital bed and in church, choose the church. You do, <laughs> you do sort of have the impression that if you're in a hospital bed and a priest comes around for the anointing of the sick that, you know... <laughs> well, the, actually, the funny thing is when, it, when he turned people up... People aren't probably thinking you're going to get better. <laughs> when he did come to give me the anointing of the sick when I was 14... I said to him something along the lines of, I was hoping you would come. And he said, yes, I've already come three times, but you weren't conscious. Oh, so well, that opens up a whole... So maybe I was just asleep. to receive the anointing of the sick? Well, here we go. What is the form of anointing of the sick? Well, just to jump back. So, so Marty was talking about how, you know, you don't really want the priest to come to give you the anointing because it sounds bad. Well, that's, that's been part of the problem, I think, is yeah. that it's had such a bad reputation People don't want to call the priest because they're afraid it's going to scare grandma into dying or think that they've given up hope. So uh, if you go to a hospital, you don't walk around with a scythe wearing a black cape or something for the anointing for the sick. <laughs> <laughs> I try to leave the scythe at home. <laughs> but it, it, sadly, so many families who, you know, the classic thing is the grandma is a faithful Catholic, but the kids have stopped going to church. Uh, they don't call the priest until after the, the, they've died uh, because oh. they are worried of giving up hope or whatever. And you're just like, no, that, that, the whole point is it's a sacrament of healing, not a sacrament of death. According yeah. to the yeah. Catechism of the Catholic Church, the first grace of this sacrament is one of strengthening peace and courage to overcome the difficulties that go with the conditional serious illness. So it's, yeah. it's a strengthening. It's not a, so yeah. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people who have been healed through the sacrament. Yeah. There's a, a woman that I, I did a funeral for just recently, but the number of times does, the doctor. Does it given sound up, like she was healed? Well, Sorry. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times the doctors had given up on her and they were like calling family members and she'd received the anointing. And the next day she's up, back on her feet again <laughs> and then you know a couple of months later another illness would hit her I multiple illnesses were hitting this woman yeah but but she just kept rallying every time she received the anointing she'd be back up on her feet back at church organizing stuff around the, the mass and grace like, is real my friends the, the, the second thing is union with the passion of christ so it's in a very significant way we are offering it up yeah so it's 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 this constant tension between trusting and really praying for healing but also believing in the redemptive power of suffering that mm. um we recognize that healing is almost like a a promise of the healing in eternity yeah it's it's jesus kind of saying look this is what everyone's going to experience in heaven but only some are going to experience it here let's say for the um 
for a Christian, ultimately, you know, death is a form of healing if it yeah. means that you can then be fully unified with Christ. For, yeah. for a non-Christian, death is terrifying. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, the, the, this idea that, that death is actually part of our healing process. And so it is a strengthening to be able to unite your suffering with Christ, mm. understand that it's not meaningless. So this, I just had to look it up. I, I knew the verse existed. I didn't know where it was. Uh, Colossians 1.24, which St. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So that being that Christ's suffering is complete, but what is lacking is our our contribution of ourselves fully to be united. So yeah. a very special uh, opportunity with with anointing of the sick. So what, what is mm. the form, Father Dave? Well, the the form, in a sense, goes way back to the early church. If you're quoting scripture, let's let's also quote James Letter chapter James. five. Yes. Um, <laughs> where he says <laughs> So chapter five, Marty, can you I guess feel the verse? I feel like this for Marty, this is <laughs> can I guess the verse. Uh, 13. <laughs> Was I close? Verse <laughs> <laughs> 13. Uh, yes! <laughs> Bingo! I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> so he says, are, are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. So that's basically the essence of the prayer we pray. So the anointing prayer is through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you, with the oil, you do a sign of the cross on the forehead and then you anoint the hands saying, may the Lord who frees you from sins, save you and raise you up. So it's, it's basically taken from this scripture, praying so, that the Lord will raise them up, forgive them from sins, bring healing. So forgiveness of sins, this is like, uh, this is like reconciliation. Well, it's funny. It feels like there's a, a meld here between reconciliation and baptism. Well, reconciliation and anointing are both sacraments of healing. Mm. But this is more than just physical healing. This is spiritual healing. Spiritual healing as well. So, yeah. After, after receiving the anointing of the sick, it's it's it, it it you know not physically but spiritually, it's equivalent to having been to reconciliation. Is that? Well, so this is where the full rite that you would celebrate if the person person is conscious and able to mm. engage in the sacrament uh you would take them th ideally you'll take them through reconciliation so so when yeah. we talk about the last rites the last rites involves confession anointing and communion eucharist so you're basically giving the person the complete package your right to go. That just sounds me. awesome. I've got to say, it sounds like the full house. Well, it if, is, if, it if everything lines up, it could be uh, marriage as well. But <laughs> but the idea is basically you're trying to give the person every grace they need to be then be able to depart from life. Um, and this is why it's so tragic that people don't call the priest until it's too late because often they'll call the priest when the person is now unconscious or after the person's died. It makes a bit more sense mm. to me now why, Father Dave, you actually didn't want to do anointing of the sick as our final episode. You had advocated right at the start 
to do it in the middle. And it mm. does make sense in that really we could have put it directly, we should have put it maybe directly after reconciliation or this sacrament of penance. And I said, no, we'll do it at the end, but we'll talk about why we shouldn't have done it at the oh, end. Oh, did you? I did. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so well done. Do you, do you feel justified, Marty? <laughs> by, by faith or by works? Getting back to this idea of the forgiveness of sins, one of the things which most Catholics have never heard of is this thing called the apostolic pardon. Have you guys ever heard of that? No. I've never heard of that. The apostolic pardon. We we're coming back once again. Why you should be calling the priest before your grandmother goes unconscious is that as part of this idea of the last rites, there is a prayer which is basically like a plenary indulgence for the forgiveness of all sins. You are now forgiven of everything straight into heaven. Hmm. And so basically the priest would pray. That's, right? that's, worth, that's worth ringing the priest for. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> So the priest would say, by the authority of the Holy See, that the, sorry, let me try that again. By the, the authority which the Holy See has given me, I grant you full pardon and remission of all your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is like the church wow. trying to say, we're going to give you every grace available so you just walk straight into heaven. Wow. It's an amazing thing. So what does... Yeah, isn't it? What does... in Beside me here, I have the catechism and there's something here that sounds similar to what you are just talking about i don't know if this word has anything to do with it but viatic viaticum viaticum yeah so so viaticum is another name <laughs> for this idea of the last rites so we're now up to four names <laughs> this one wins <laughs> we can make this more confusing if you want yeah so viaticum is like the traditional name for receiving communion before death Right. Which, again, comes back to what Father Dave has said a number of times, being that we only can go to heaven with Jesus, attached to Jesus. Yeah. Through him, with him, and in him. Yeah, he is the way to heaven. Yeah. 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 And so um, it, would, it would make so much sense that on our, on our deathbed in particular that we would receive our Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I, how, how would that be like to, to receive the Eucharist and then die? Like mm. you, are, you are already in heaven. Like you've received the Trinity into mm. you. And then the Trinity uh, receives you into. Yeah. Them. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Them. Them. And th this is such a beautiful thing as a priest. Like I, I got called up to the hospital the other week uh, to the hospice and 98-year-old um, woman, I think she was only two weeks off, turning 99 prayed the, the anointing, did the prayers of the, of the commendation of the dying, commending her to the Lord, had a brief chat with the family. And then pretty much as soon as I walked out of the room, she died. You know, I got, I got contacted by the family about two days later, basically saying pretty much as soon as I walked out of the room, she went to the heaven. Yeah. You're saying, well, that's such a privilege to be able to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I remember my dad telling me about his uncle, who was a passionist brother. And when he died, my dad was in the room with him and all this had happened. But he had this moment where he said he's like his eyes opened and he looked, looked up and it looked like he saw, you know, someone come into the room just in front of him. And then he died. And dad was saying this, it just looked to him like Jesus had walked in and said to him, come with me. Mm. And he, and he died so peacefully. But always hear stories from mum. My mum is retired, but used to work in aged care. And was always hearing stories 
along those lines. Mm-hmm. People on their deathbed and anxious, and then there'd be that final moment, this this moment of of clarity and peace once everything had come together, whatever it was that they were waiting for, and and then actually feeling that peace to actually pass away. Mm-hmm. Something to look forward to. Marty, what was it you? Sorry, this is a little bit off topic, but at at our death, that clarity. There was some. We had a discussion about this some time ago. Terminal lucidity. That's what yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So there seems to be a fair few, like from this observation, scientific kind of studies around people with who are, you know, very sick with Alzheimer's or dementia or something, and their brains are, you know, affected and shriveled and and have, you know, lived the effects of that for a long time. But but within an, an hour to a day of dying, become lucid, even though their brain is no different which seems to be an indication that their soul is sort of starting to separate from their body, maybe. And the frailty that, of the body. Yeah, and that their mind for that moment doesn't need the brain to, to function and then, mm. yeah, start giving people, you know, instructions and being, you know, really present with like they haven't been for years and then um, just before dying. Yeah. This, take it as a um, sort of a scientific proof or piece of evidence for the existence of a transphysical soul. After we'd had that discussion, I asked mum about it. And mum simply said very nonchalantly, oh, yeah, of course. No, I saw that all the time. Wow. That's just a part of it. That's, that's what happens there. But again, I, I think that, <laughs> that draws home the importance of calling the priest, that this is not simply in hope we, that the soul is separating from the body at that point. This is this is such an amazing part of life that we just struggle to understand. So yeah, bring this is bring it. the Lord in. This is it. Life's about to start. Really, yeah. Um, what's your um, what's your response time, Father Dave? You know, are you on a within an hour, or does it take a within a shift, or actually, oh, like if I get a call, if I get, if if I get get, a call if you, in the hospital, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the uh, blue lights go on my car, and I <laughs> go, go through all the traffic lights and uh, in the Batmobile. Quite, quite seriously, though, have you had moments where there's been a conflict? Normally, the first question to ask is how how urgent do I need to get up there? That is so, a really that is a really sensible question to ask. Well, yeah, because because sometimes they're like, oh, it'll be sometime in the next couple of days the person will die. Yeah. Whereas that one I was talking about. I, I got I got the call at nine pm at night, and they said, "Yeah, she probably she won't be around much longer." So I was like, "Okay, I'll be there in a second. <laughs> Thankfully, mm. we only live five minutes from the hospice, so mm. my, my response time is pretty good at the moment. <laughs> um, so the last bit on all this uh, last rites kind of Actually, thing can you can you hold that? If, can you come back to that? I just want to go back to this blue lights on the car thing just for a moment. Okay, yeah, Father Dave, I, yeah, I no, no, I just no. That's, that's really grown up. Go. No. <laughs> No, not really. I mean, I mean, in in a serious fashion. I I'm just imagining that there would be a particular grace that even at all hours, when it's inconvenient, that it's not inconvenient. That there's a moment of I'm on. Yeah, yeah. So not the blue lights. Like the it's easy, yeah, it, the annoying. Must, it, it's easier to be self giving if you're holy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's different in every parish. Most most dioceses have got like. The hospital emergency phone. I've I've got it right now at the moment. Oh right. So, so if there's a call, is it, I'm, is it I'm red? sorry, I've got to leave the podcast. No, it's black. <sighs> if <laughs> <laughs> but um, if there's a call, we'll just make the rest up. Basically, there's there's a priest who's on call, and and it's his job to be available. 
yeah. some parishes that live close to hospitals, the priest is always on call for that. Mm. But yeah, it, it is a privilege. As, as much as it can be hard to, you know, get yourself into a pastoral mode at 2.30 in the morning. I remember years ago where I had the emergency phone in Canberra, I'd, I'd probably just hit like that deepest part of sleep in the middle of the night and got this call of this woman who'd been rushed into an emergency, had a heart attack, about to have emergency surgery. And they're like, can you come right now? And I, I remember driving down the main road, slapping myself in the face just to try and wake myself up <laughs> so I could, because I knew I'm, I'm about to walk into a hospital room filled with grieving family members who are thinking their mum's about to die. And I've got to be able to engage mm. with all of them really well. And then as soon as I finish that, I'm back driving down the main road just saying, okay, go back to sleep, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. Because yeah. I, I had a really busy day the next day and I had to just switch my brain off again. So I've yeah. got a lot of respect for priests who do full-time hospital ministry. I think they're heroic. Yeah, amazing. So if you, um, if you turn up and someone is unconscious, can you can still anoint them, can't you? I mean, you can't do reconciliation yeah. or Eucharist. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you pray with them, you know. Trust yeah. them to God's mercy. And mm. was that you? I thought you had a few questions, Marty. No, that was, oh, that was it. One. I interrupted. For, took, for, took a while to get there. It was a pretty much. short answer, too. It was. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to have lengthened it all out. Uh, so I, I remember this. I, I do remember this one time I was called up to the nursing home and uh, asked to anoint this woman who was close to death. And I was in the middle of this gastro outbreak. And hospital, like the, the nursing home, it was dead quiet because it was middle of the night. And this nurse just sort of started handing me all this stuff of like face masks and gowns and gloves and basically saying, you can't go in there unless you're fully wrapped up in everything. And my only thought was if, if this woman sees this person all masked up coming to the room, I'm probably going to scare her to death. <laughs> so, but then I kind of figured she's about to die anyway, so I'm not going to give her any disease that's going to kill her. Yeah. And I'm not going to meet anybody else on the way in or out. So I just, as soon as the nurse went, I thought, oh, look, I'll just duck in and not worry about all the gear <laughs> broke every rule uh, in the book of course you you also avoided the risk of someone misidentifying you as a surgeon <laughs> yes or a mummy <laughs> yeah yes can i slightly different topic i've had this thought for a few weeks now that i just wonder i've been trying to find an opportunity to to flag it but i haven't found one and this is and it's inappropriate as every other time you know when jesus talks about you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he talks about no one comes to the Father except through me. It seems to me that there's an inbuilt thing, like Jesus knows something we don't, because there's this inbuilt, how desirable is the Father? And I think we've just heard it so many times that it sort of washes over. But if you listen to Jesus talking about his Father, like this this is something that you absolutely want, and it's implicit in his words. And then, and then he takes a step back and says, nobody, nobody gets to the Father except through me. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty huge. And I don't think we come close to understanding it. I mean, a bit like what Sam was saying a few weeks back about trying to, you know, having two-dimensional people trying to understand a three-dimensional world. We see what Jesus says about heaven and God and the Father, and we're trying to understand it in our feeble human brains. <laughs> we don't get anywhere close to it. Mm. But I think we're going to spend heaven just unbelievably astounded constantly like when people talk about being bored in heaven i just think you've got no idea well don't the um i'm not sure if it was aquinas or who but they talk about you know the nine choirs of angels that the the seraphim or whoever Mm -hmm. right at the top just just stay gazing on god full time all the time 
because even though they're more powerful than all the other angels, there's nothing they could be doing that's better mm. than adoring God. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I think Augustine says it's only the two lowest levels of angels that actually interact with us. All the others are just blissing out in heaven. <laughs> mm. Mm. And difficult if we have that that childhood's imagery of an old man with a beard sitting on a throne, it doesn't really make sense. But mm. if you put it in the perspective of, think of the most spectacular view you've ever seen on the most perfect day you've ever had, and that still pales into insignificance of what it would be like. But even even that, I think, falls so short. Like, like I said, I said, really it's about, I said pales yeah. in insignificance. I, I think... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but it, <laughs> like like ultimately, it's about... Think about how mad people become about love you know mm. like when a person falls in love that intensity of feeling mm. um that drawing to the other person the fact can't that sleep you, or do really stupid things to try and impress her yeah you do anything just to be in the same room as the person that i think gets a bit closer because this idea of god is love like mm. if you could actually like that that's what you feel like when you're in love with somebody hey, maybe maybe, could, maybe maybe the most amazing view you've ever seen is the person you're in love with true yeah I didn't say anything about still mountains. Pales, still pales in insignificance. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think that's where the sacraments come in, that God's giving us everything we need to get there. Because this idea that we keep coming back to, that, that, that heaven is relationship. Heaven's mm. about being in relationship with Christ who draws us into relationship with the Father. And so all the sacraments are doing that. You know, baptism draws us into the Trinity. Eucharist is the, the Trinity entering into us confession is about removing all the blockages between us and god and the anointing is really god coming to us healing us so that we can be back in that place so yeah we're just gonna have absolute confidence in the love of god and this thing yeah we talked a a lot about anointing as around the point of death but to get back to to being this idea of healing i think we've got to come back to a renewed faith in the power of god to heal yes Absolutely. I grapple with this a lot. We, we really don't trust really that God does heal. We were, I think we were almost in the frame of mind now in the church across, across the board fairly evenly, I think, that, that God can heal, but does God heal? Yeah, does he actually want to? Mm. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Does he want, every time Jesus gets asked, if you, you know, if you wanted to heal me, you would, he says, yeah, I do. Of course I do. Mm. But I think the bigger thing is, do we actually want to ask? Do we even think to ask? Do we do we sit there and say, oh, well, you know, this is just bad, so I'll just put up with it because, you know, because I'm an orphan? Or do we actually sit down and go, Lord Jesus, Father, my daddy, could you give me a miracle? And there's this inherent tension between asking for healing and that idea of redemptive suffering. And I think in the Catholic Church particularly, you're going to find people very much on one extreme or the other. Very, mm. very rarely do I see people who are able to hold both together. Yeah, there's there's some people who say, don't pray for healing. You just got to offer it up for the salvation of the world. Whereas others are like, we should be calling on the spirit because God wants to heal everybody and God doesn't want you to suffer. Somehow it's actually a bit of both. And yeah, I would have thought both. Let's yeah. say you, you ask for healing, but you ask for miracles and then, and then offer up in the meantime mm. and it's something or, about or, having or, a, or potentially forever but yeah it's something about having a, a proper understanding of why god heals you it, it's both a physical healing but a spiritual healing as well in that god is really trying to say you know what i'm here i'm lord of the universe 
Now, how about you come and serve me? Mm. So there's that classic thing in the gospel where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And it says, as soon as she was healed, she got up and started serving everybody. Mm. And people often draw on that saying, you know, that's, that's actually like the best way to understand healing, that you're not healed for yourself. You're actually healed for other people. So yeah. your life can now be given to help others and your life can be this prophetic message to the world as well about the power of God to heal. So, so you should never keep your healing to yourself. You should proclaim it and tell people about it, but also then remembering that you're still going to die. So yeah. it's not as though God takes away all pain and we then get angry when it comes back again. Mm. It's about well, recognizing it's, it is temporary. And ultimately, the healing of the soul is more useful to you than healing of your body. Yeah. Um, mm. And I was just thinking of that, just trying to, you know, think of a hy- hypothetical situation. If, if your body not being healed was somehow the best thing for your soul, then that's what God would, would do. But if, but if healing your body was better for healing your soul in your circumstance, then you could expect that that's what he'd do. Definitely. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the best way to approach it as well is to say, God, I'm going to pray for healing if this is what you want and if this is good for me. Mm. Um, but, but then pray with full faith and confidence, but also with that sense of surrender. So you're not going to get angry if it doesn't happen mm. or it doesn't happen the way you expect it. Ah, well, that's normally, that's normally sort of how it happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I, I had an interesting one where I, I always had very bad asthma and it limited me a lot in terms of, you know, particularly with sport and, you know, I was always getting sick because of it with pneumonia and things like this. When I went to my first summer school, I asked someone to pray for that. And I experienced a healing for a couple of days. And it was like, for a couple of days, I had no asthma at all. I was breathing better than I'd ever breathed in my life. And then it came back and I was so confused. I was like, God, what is this? And I felt like God was saying, I'm letting you know that I can do this, but but I'm not going to do it yet. And you've got to understand that there's a, there's a reason, like you've got to start to understand the role of this limitation or this suffering. But then a couple of years back, I was at a, at a, a healing event and these people said, oh, is there anything you want healed for? And I still said, want healing from asthma. <laughs> well, no, I said, you know what? The only problem I've got is asthma, but I really don't care about it. Mm. And they said, we'll pray for it anyway. And I was healed and I haven't had it since. Like I hadn't taken any medication for it. Mm. But it was strange that like the point where I almost, almost didn't want to be healed from it, that's when God did heal me. Because in a sense, you'd already been healed from it been healed from the any you know anxiety of the effects of it i i'd, I'd started to my, my whole theological worldview had shifted because of that where i actually almost saw it as a blessing it was, it was a way of prayer mm. um that i could offer this for the world and so i don't know yeah it, it's confusing how god works and when he works that's just mm. prompted a thought of me that i haven't really contemplated before do you reckon and i think so that, that we can idolize good health or physical oh, yeah. you know, strength, etc. that that becomes an idol in of itself. It's not new. I mean, look at the, um, you know, Hercules and the ancient Greek gods and stuff. I think we've been idolizing the human body for millennia. But yeah, it, it, it's very true. It's, um, Ignatius Loyola in his spiritual exercises starts off with this thing they call the first principle and foundation. You guys ever heard of that? No. 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 We could talk um, to... Um, a Trish. We could talk to Trish. I'm sure she's ready. Actually, sorry. Can I? Can I? Can I just say this? You know how we, when we interviewed Trish, she was talking about how she had run out of fuel twice. 
I got a message from Trish the other day. She was out at Orange. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she didn't run out of fuel. The car broke down uh, and it had to be towed all the way back to Wollongong. At least that's credible. Uh, yeah. At least she's moving up. It's not actually her fault. Back to St. Ignatius of Loyola. But anyway, I, I think when we did that interview with, uh, when you guys did that interview with Trish, she did mention this. But the big part of it is basically him saying, I, we, we exist purely for the sake of praising, reverencing, and loving, loving God. And so anything which stops us from praising, reverencing, or loving God, we should be quite happy to walk away from it because that's the only reason we exist. Mm. But then he kind so- of moves on to this point saying... So therefore, I should be completely indifferent to anything in my life as long as I can achieve that goal of praising and glorifying God. And so mm. I shouldn't desire good health as opposed to bad health or a long life as opposed to short life. Like whatever is going to help me glorify God the most, bring it on. Mm. And as far as Ignatius is concerned, that's what well, he says, that's the starting point for the uh, Christian life, right. that, that position of indifference. Whereas most people would say, oh, that's for the extreme saints. Resignation would say, no, 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 no. That's basic Christianity. You need yeah. to get to that point of real surrender. So this this is where that whole was it three years of preparation before baptism comes in. Yes. Understanding the yeah. Christian life. Yeah. Mm, that's massive. So that's I've heard that in slightly different words, not from Ignatius, obviously, but Italian. You know, that the point of life is to that the point of life is to know, love, and serve God. And yes. they sort of build on each other because you don't you don't love you, you don't love people you don't know. It, it doesn't sort of make sense. Mm. And you don't serve people you don't love. So it starts with starts with knowing, and to know Jesus is to love Jesus, and you get wrapped into that. And why would you want to do anything else but serve Him? And we can do. It's funny that we can love God or glorify God through our suffering, or it may be the case that we're glorifying God through having been healed. And yet in both cases, or, yeah. or yes. both one after the other. Mm. Mm. So, how, I, but, but either way, it's, it's about being detached from life itself in a sense. Like, like it's not as I'm saying, mm. my God is life and health and strength, and I want Jesus to now try and make this better. Mm. It's saying, actually, Jesus is my God, and everything else now serves him. So, so my health serves him, my long life serves him. Whatever he gives me, it's going to serve him. Marty, your yeah. loss of finger is a metaphor for life. Complete detachment. <laughs> I'm completely detached from the end of my right index finger. <laughs> uh... Father Dave, how often do you offer anointing of the sick for someone who is not necessarily about to die? So it's a, it's one of these sacraments that can be repeated. And so for like say someone who's elderly or with a chronic illness, they can experience that repeatedly. I once again, I, I don't, I don't mi- think that... m- missing a finger maybe. If that's a threat to your life, <laughs> like if, if the finger was no, chronically no, infected. No, the answer is no. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's repeatable. You can receive it regularly. But Sorry, my question is, do you? Is, is that, I know, you know, in theory it's repeatable, but do you actually have the opportunity to do that repeatedly? Oh, yeah. I mean, particularly for elderly people, people with chronic illnesses. Okay, so it does, yep. yeah. Yeah, like, like, like here in our parish, we, we have a monthly mass for healing oh, where we there you go. we offer the the anointing for the those people beautiful yeah i think we might we might be once a year it mm. happens annually yeah you might not be as sick well there's only 15 of us <laughs> <laughs> 20 on a good day is there anything else well, to say i've really enjoyed 
unpacking the sacraments. I got so much out of this, and it was nice after the uh, Eucharist episode. I did hear a number of people commenting that they actually approached the Eucharist with a bit of a skip in their step, that they were approaching the groom at the end of the aisle, and that when they said amen, they were saying, I do. Mm -hmm. Uh and I've got to admit for myself, there are a number of occasions where the Mass has come alive, the sacraments have come alive in a new way through this discussion. So thank you. I presume you're talking to Father Dave. Oh, you I too. Was, um, I, was listening, I was listening to the Eucharist episode actually just before this today. You know, it's a bit like, bit like preparing for, you know, listen to Rocky, prepare for a sporting event. I thought we trying to get in the groove. Not sure if it worked. <laughs> I decided to pray a rosary and then the bank guy turned up. So uh, I've done my intentions. <laughs> My only disappointment with the Eucharist episode was that you left out the funniest bit at the end when we went back to talking about love song dedications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was a long discussion about there that was. before but we that, finally... That could just stay between the three of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marty had actually left it in in the edit and sent it to me and he wasn't sure I about said, it. And I, I listened to it. I said, oh, just the fact that I'm not sure, I think indicates that we probably should take it out. <laughs> You know what? You know what I thought? Any any other episode about anything but the Eucharist. <laughs> so maybe at the end of this episode, Marty, you can oh, edit, just jam it you in. You can just jam it in after the prayer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, shall we finish with the prayer? Sounds good. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for the gift of love, for the gift of your life, the gift of your presence, your constant presence, for the gift of the calling that you've placed on our lives. We thank you, Lord God, for Father Dave's education and for his willingness to share that wisdom with us and, and his excitement with us and for Marty's passion. And we uh, thank you, Lord, for the gift of everyone listening we pray father that you would continue to bless us and draw us deeper into you into your love we pray this in your name lord jesus amen amen well we pray your blessing upon us all blessing of the father son holy spirit amen amen our lady queen of heaven pray for us pray for, pray us. for us What I was going to say at the start about love song dedications was that I still remember exactly what the call was. There's a letter that came through to Richard Mercer, who they called the love God, and he read out this letter in this low, slow voice. And it was, Deborah writes to my big chief. Big chief, you know you've been my lover now for nearly a decade and you'll always be my big chief. And even though you slept with Carol, I want you to know, I still love you. And here's a song from Deborah to her big chief. <laughs> when we come to the end of the road. And I'm sitting in the van coming back from Mears. going, did he just say that? Was that legitimately, that's the letter that someone has sent in to be read out on radio. <laughs> Sons of Thunder, better than love song dedications. Where the best bits of the podcast happen after the podcast is finished. <laughs> <laughs>